Your future is located in the threshing floor. The book of Ruth. In Ruth chapter 3. While you're turning there, look at your neighbor and say, Your future is located in the threshing floor. And we'll be back in the, in the Gospel of Romans again tonight. And I, you know, I'm really not planning this. This is just the way it happens. And our focus tonight is going to be on saints. Our separated people. Book of Ruth chapter 3. Verse 2. Let's read that together, all right? <clears throat> together. If you have that, say amen. So I know if you got it. Ruth chapter 3, verse 2. And now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. He winnoweth barley in the threshing floor. This is what Naomi is telling her daughter-in-law Ruth. Verse 6, let's read together. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. Verse 12, together. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. We're at in the threshing floor. Verse 14, and she lay together, and she lay at his feet until the morning. And she rose up before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Amen. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, we covered this morning. Now we're going to bring you some practical application of what you heard. If you don't understand Jesus been David, if you don't understand Jesus been Joseph, if you don't understand Yitzhak Hurrah, if you don't understand all those terms, okay, but you're going to understand tonight. Let's all stand, please. Everybody. Please, thank you. I assure you, you will understand. <laughs> practically. What everything I said this morning, practically what it means. Romans 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome beloved of God called saints. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you right now for your grace and your power and your anointing in this house. Our future is located in the threshing floor. We thank you, God, for all that you're going to show us tonight. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your awesome presence in this house tonight. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. The focus is on separation. The focus is on being a saint. That is the practical outworking of being right with God. Do you believe that? A saint in Rome. If you could be a saint in Rome, you could be a saint anywhere. And I'm going to be talking to you about some things. I'm going to read to you from what people call the church fathers or the church patriarchs or the church teachers. Early church writing. And I'm going to show you what Rome was like. And it is much like what it is today in America or in the world as a whole. And if they can be saints and they can be separated, then we can be saints and we can be separated as a result of our righteousness in God, our right standing. Praise the Lord. In this first seven verses of chapter 1, it's just like the Apostle Paul writes 126 words, 13 colons, 2 parentheses. Are you with me here? (laughs) All of that in one sentence. He is long-winded. But when he gets through writing this 126-word sentence, he ends it by saying, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, call saints. That is extremely important. How many of y'all believe that today? I want to be a saint. And I am in one sense. I am a saint because God has made me a saint. But I also want to live up to that name. I want to live righteously. I want to live holy before God. And I'm telling you, if they could do it, then we can too. Because we are not preaching a message based on cultural agreement. We don't preach we are the church of the living God. Which means this. That we, because we're right with the Lord and right standing with God. See, I've already got some of you. You should just go home. You ain't going to stop me from preaching it. So you can either go home or you can stay here and hear the word of God. I don't really care. I am, we as the church of the living God do not preach based on cultural acceptance. What that means is simply this. It's just because it's culturally accepted in our day does not mean that the church has to agree with it. And there's a lot of people who believe that our preaching on holiness and our preaching on separation is based on cultural definitions. But we don't preach what the world thinks is acceptable. We preach what the church should stand for. And we preach the word of the living God. Amen. Do you believe that tonight? So because we are righteous in God, it's going to produce separation in our life. Romans. Saints in Rome. In a very ungodly culture. 
and preachers like Paul, who even to the point of death, will stand up and declare the right of God's word. Even if it meant death. Because they were not trying to fit in. They were representatives of the kingdom of God. And they are a part of a total different kingdom than Rome. You understand these things. Number one in the Roman culture. And this is, and I'm going to really bore you at the first. But in Roman culture, and this comes from writings of the early church fathers about, and we say church fathers, but anyway. This is what they say happened and what Rome was like. But there were still saints in the middle of it. Number one, in the area of divorce. Rome was, a, was in this day, a place where divorce was rampant. It was rampant, just like it is today. In fact, divorce in Rome was so rampant that each woman, when she got married, according to a man by the name of Tertullian, and he, he doesn't have all the truth on everything, but this early church writer, Tertullian, said about a woman in that day in Rome, that when she got married, that she simply believed and longed for divorce. Because she believed that that was the consequence of marriage. So she longed for divorce. That's the way it was in that day. In Rome. And in our day right now, it's the same. Divorce is rampant. But God hates divorce. Malachi says, I believe it's Malachi, says God hates divorce. So your, cultural, your culture might accept it. Your culture might say it's okay. But God's word says God hates divorce. So we as the church of the living God, we should reflect the word of the Lord. We should live in such a way that declares the truth of God's word, not what the culture says. Come on, somebody. The church as a whole has just as much divorce in it as the world does. And the sad thing about it, there's a lot of preachers in the pulpit who allow it in their churches. And don't say anything about it, say anything against it, and they accept it. You know what's happened to them? They've moved in this cultural mold. They've been squeezed into the mold of this hour. But God hates divorce. Get it. He hates it. Number two, abortion. Abortion was rampant in Rome. In fact, what they did a lot of times, they took babies that were born and they strangled them to death because they didn't want the babies strangled them to death or left them abandoned on the side of the road somewhere and those that didn't make it to life come on I'm talking about out of the womb were aborted in Rome this is a writing from a a person by the name of Mark Felix 
out of Octavius chapter 30. Here's what he said. He said, there are some women among you who by drinking special potions extinguish the life of the future human in their very bowels, thus committing murder. So that Rome saw it to be a moral thing if you aborted a baby that you didn't want. It's the same today in this culture. Now, I'm going to just talk to you tonight, and I love you. You know how much I love you. I'm just going to get down with you. If you have a child, you better take care of that child, and you better raise it right. You better be a mama to that baby, and you better be a father to that baby. And stop letting somebody else raise your kids. And I don't have statistics with me, but I've got them. If you only knew what kind of children come from broken homes where there is no dad. So some of you dads need to get responsible and start being a father to your children. And some of you women need to become mothers to your children. If you had them, you're responsible for them. You might not be strangling them. You might not be leaving them on the side of the road somewhere, abandoning them. You may not have poisoned them by drinking a potion. But are you abandoning them in their life? Are you hearing this? And I know it's the culturally acceptable thing to do, you know. Just have the babies and run off and leave them. But I'm telling you, that's not the way that God sees it. We are called to a higher standard. We are the church of the living God. We don't accept what the culture says about marriage and divorce and about abortion and abandonment of children. We don't accept that. And if you've been involved in either one of these, divorce or abortion, God's mercy and grace can forgive you. He can justify you, put you in right standing and change your life. So I'm not trying to condemn you. But this is the word of the Lord. We are called to be separated. We are called to be holy. We are called to live righteous. We are called to do right. If you wonder why the power of God is in this place, it's because we preach it that way. And we believe it that way. The moment we start compromising is when God walks out the door and we lose our power. And all that's left of this church is a mere shadow of what it used to be. And you might as well write Ichabod over the top of the door, which means the glory of the Lord has departed. Because if we ever stop being the church and stop being separated, we lose the power and we lose the glory of God. And then we just go through the motions and try to act like the church. But this is what brings power. This is what creates your future. Separation creates your future. Moment you lose your separation, you lose your future. Amen. Lavish immodesty. Another thing that was in Rome. Look at your neighbor and tell them, lavish immodesty. 
First Peter 3. Let me go there. Let me read this to you. This is, what, this is what the church believes. Now don't make me get all red-faced here tonight to get my point across. I'd rather just preach it in love, you know. But if you, I, I'll have a problem getting red-faced to beat my hand out of the pulpit tonight. First Peter. Watch this, chapter 3. This is what the church believes. That we are supposed to live modestly. We are supposed to dress modestly. We have an identity. The church has its own identity. Our identity is not like the identity of the world. The church has its own identity. Do you hear this? First Peter 3. And I have all these men up here because every one of these men up here with me tonight believe what I'm preaching. I said they believe what I'm preaching. And this church believes what I'm preaching. We are on the same page. This church is on the same page. First Peter 3, watch this. Verse 1 through 5. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Some of you wives got a submission problem. Well, it, it might be culturally acceptable, but it's not acceptable in the church of the living God. You wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any man obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, of the lifestyle of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Who's adorning? Here's the Bible. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair. And what that means is elaborate intertwining of the hair with all kinds of beads and things like that. Okay? And of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. In Paul's day in Rome, this was the normality. The normality was immodesty of dress. The, no, the normality was that it, the material cost more than the gold cost. Do you understand? Or a putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which in the sight of God is of great price. For after this manner in old time the holy women... Also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Some of you have a problem calling him saint. <laughs> you had to be here this morning to understand that. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So God calls us to modesty and adornment. Do you believe that? First Peter 2, uh, First Timothy 2. Let's go there. Another verse. This is your future right here. And this is your children's future. This is your heritage. First Timothy. Got your Bibles, don't you? I'm trying to give you some Bible here. First Timothy 2. Paul writing Timothy. Now all of this is in the context of what even was going on in Rome. So the way they did it in Rome. And I'm going to give you some information on that in a minute. 1 Timothy 2. Verse 8. 
I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And that's the problem with the man, his wrath and his doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. The word apparel means a long flowing garment. Who's with shamefacedness and sobriety. That means not forward. Forward. You understand? Humility. Not with broidered hair. or That's the same thing as the plating of the hair. Or gold or pearls or costly array. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So, the Bible calls us to modesty in dress. In the culture, culture of Rome, not only was divorce rampant and abortion rampant, also immodesty was rampant. Listen to what one writer says. His name is Charles Parna. He quotes a Roman who was talking to his female companion. This man, Charles Parna, his book, Extraordinary Origins of Everyday Things, Page 223 says this about immodesty. And this, he's quoting a Roman who's talking to his female companion. Here's what he said. This is funny to me. Okay? It really is. But it's just, it shows you what they believed in that day. It's just like what we believe today. I mean, the world believes today. While, here's what this Roman says to his female companion. While you remain at home, your hair is at the hairdresser. Which means in that day, Roman women wore wigs. They dyed their hair blonde. I'm giving you truth here. Wore wigs. Left their hair at the hairdresser while they remained at home. <laughs> he goes on and tells, this Roman goes on and tells this female companion, you take out your teeth at night. You sleep tucked away in a hundred cosmetic boxes. Even your face doesn't sleep with you. So what he's saying in the Roman culture, they were caught up with the cosmetics too and they painted their lips and painted their face and painted their eyebrows on and on and went. So this man says, when you go to sleep, your face doesn't even sleep with you. You leave it in all these boxes over here. You then wink at men under an eyebrow you took out of a drawer the same morning. That was Rome. They're just like our culture. But Paul said, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of rapid divorce, in the midst of rapid abortion, in the midst of immodesty, there were saints in the church in Rome. People who are separated. People who had an identity of their own. 
when I was a youth minister, I had a picture of a guy in the youth class, and I showed this to the youth class. He had a mohawk right down the middle, a blonde mohawk right down the middle, an earring in his ear, you know? And at the bottom, the question, why? And the answer, to be different. And there was just a, one after another after another that looked just like him. Come on. So they do the same thing that the modern world does. They paint their face and all of that thing that the culture does. But look at what Jude says in 1 verse 8. I'm going to show you how, how powerful this is. Jude 1 verse 8. Hallelujah. Right before you walk into the book of Revelation is the book of Jude. Verse 8. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. Can literally be translated they color the flesh. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile or color the flesh. They despise dominions and speak evil of dignities. They have no problem speaking against authority. And they color their face. They defile their flesh. Do you understand what we're trying to say here? And that's what they did in that culture. And that's what they do in this culture. But we don't have to give in to that. And we don't have, we're not going to be like that. Come on, church. Immodesty. The Roman dress was transparent for the most part. So that a man by the name of Clement wrote it this way. He talked about the, the apparel that women put on. And even men put on. Men wore makeup in Rome. Are you here tonight? Men wore makeup in Rome. Clement spoke of clothing. That didn't cover or cling to the. Listen. That didn't cover. What it did it was cling to the body. It was clothing for looking at. Not clothing for covering. And that's what Clement of Rome says. An early church writer. He said the people in his day. Clement of Rome. Said they wore clothes that cling to their body. The clothing was see through for the most part. It fit so tight to the body that you could not. It didn't leave any room for imagination. Is what Clement of Rome said. And we live in that same hour. Where men and women wear translucent clothing. Clothing that you can see through. Immodest apparel. Come on church. Clothing that's too tight. So that you can see everything with all the clothes on. We are called to modesty. Hello church. So we don't preach cultural, cultural norms Praise the Lord. We are not preaching what is currently acceptable by the culture. We are preaching the word of the living God to you. And if you want to look like and act like and dress like and do what pagans do, they claim to be a pagan. Don't claim to be a Christian. 
because Christians have their own identity. Somebody said, well, you paint your house and you paint the car. And the good answer to that was this. You paint dead things. You don't paint living things. You've never seen a, a bird with beautiful feathers painted. You don't see the animal kingdom painting themselves up. You don't see anything that's living paint themselves. The only thing you paint is dead things. So if you're dead, then you're going to want to paint. Do you understand this? We need to stop painting. Now, this is the kind of message that people just used to get up and walk out on. That that's the word of God. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just telling you this is the word of the Lord. And this is what the early church fathers who didn't even have all the truth said about their culture. In a negative way, not a positive way. They condemned it. The Roman theaters. The Roman theaters were full of crime and adultery and immorality. It's just like Hollywood today. It's full of crime, violence, adultery, and immorality. It was in Rome. It's with us today. But there were saints in that culture. And if there were saints in that culture, there can be saints in this one. Here's what one writer, early church writer, Lactantius, boy, he had a name. In Institutes, book 6, chapter 20. And by the, name, by the way, Clement made the statement about the clothing in the Instructor, book 2, chapter 11. And I've got all the writings of the church father on my computer. Are you with me here? He says this about the theater. He said, I am, I am inclined to think that the corrupting influence of the stage is even worse than that of the arena. Do you understand? The subjects of comedies are the deflowering of virgins. The deflowering of virgins meant that they lost their virginity on the stage. They were acted out as losing their virginity. The deflowering of virgins was the comedies that they acted out in those days. Just like this day. Promoting promiscuity. Promoting lewdness. Promoting immorality. Or he goes on to say, the loves of prostitutes. How do we expect our young people, he goes on to write, to respond when they see that these things are practiced without shame and that everyone eagerly watches it? Come on, church! He's got it right. I don't know how much truth he's got, but he's got it right on that. And in that culture, in that day, only very wealthy people could afford to go to the theater. Many of them could go, they could go to the gladiators and see into the arenas and watch uh, the killing of people, you know, and death. And they called it sport. The shedding of blood, they called it sport. And the common person could go to the arena.
but the stage the theater was costly it was pricey and so only the wealthy could go there but it was full of immorality and I'm calling this church to accountability tonight. And I'm calling you to separation tonight by the word of the living God. And if we can sit around and condone divorce, abortion, immodesty, and immorality, then I ask you the question tonight, are we really his church or are we just acting like his church? Are y'all with me tonight on this? Your future is located in the threshing floor. Your future is located in the place of separation. Because the threshing floor was the place of separation. That's where the chaff was separated from the wheat. The chaff was separated from the true grain in the threshing floor. I'm telling you, if they could be saints in Rome, so can we. And we need to stop using the excuse. Well, it's just culturally acceptable. That's just the way it is in our world today, you know. Or that old phrase, let's just get with the times. I don't want to fit into the age. I don't want the age to get inside of me. I don't want this age to get in this church. We are called to separation under God. I mean, y'all believe what I'm telling you tonight. The world as a whole may look at this church and think we're crazy. Think that we're fanatical, that we go too far, that we're too extreme. I got news for you. We are not. This is biblically accepted teaching of the apostles. They preached it at the point of death. Preached by the apostles. It is accepted by the church as truth. And just because the church world has let the world into the church doesn't mean it's acceptable to God. Just because they look like whores and whoremongers in their house doesn't mean that we can. We've got to check ourselves on this. We've got to walk separated. Because if we don't, we lose our future. We lose the church. We lose power. Well, pastor, we just don't want to condemn anybody. That's right. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm trying to preach the word of God. And we're not going to change the message just because you're here. You're either going to allow yourself to go through the separation process or you're going to allow yourself to get hard. Your future is located in the threshing floor. It's located in your ability to be separated in a pagan culture. Go back to the, to the book of Ruth. Let me elaborate on this. How many of y'all love Jesus tonight? Naomi looks at Ruth, who's a Moabitess. 
and tells her to go into the threshing floor of Boaz and wait there in the threshing floor. And so she goes there at midnight in the middle of the night in the threshing floor when it's harvest time. The harvest time is busy time. They work day and night to separate the wheat from the chaff. And so Naomi says, go Ruth to the threshing floor, the place of separation. Because in that place, you will locate your future. You have no future, Ruth, if you don't get to the threshing floor where the kinsman redeemer is located. But if you go to the threshing floor with the hope of provision and the hope of a future, you will find it there at the place of separation. The threshing floor is your future. So she goes down there in the threshing floor. Now watch this. The threshing floor is the place where God gathers or the people would gather the stalks of grain out of the field. And when, what they would do is they would take to the threshing floor, the place of separation. They would take the stalks of the grain and they would lay it on, a, on the hard ground there. And those oxen would walk on those stalks, stomping those stalks in order to separate the grain from the chaff. And not only did they do that by stomping on the grain, they also sometimes would pull a big old wedge or a big old weight behind them and drag it on top of that grain until the separation of the grain and the, the stalks would take place, the chaff. So what I'm trying to tell you is number one is that this is a type of the Word of God going forth. The Word of God is delivered by the ox. The Bible likens the pastor or the minister to the ox that treads out the grain. So the purpose of the pastor is to stomp on the stalks until the separation of the what? The chaff and the grain takes place. There has to be a place of separation and it's done by the ox. And it's literally done in the place of being between a rock and a hard place. So when you come to church, I know my responsibility. You don't have to tell me. I know what my responsibility is, is to walk and stomp on the grain until the chaff is removed and the true grain is brought into the barns. And the way that's done is by the Word of God. When the Word of God goes forth out of the mouth of the ox, then what happens is this you start finding yourself between a rock and a hard place. When you came to church tonight, when you hear this message, it's going to put you between a rock and a hard place. It's either going to produce separation in you or it's going to cause you to get hard. And if you get hard, it's not the pastor's fault. It's not the ox's fault. That is his purpose. His purpose is to crush the stock until the grain comes out. Yes. 
Do you understand? So the word goes forth and the pressure comes. And you feel all of a sudden the walls start closing in on you. And you start feeling the pressure. You start feeling the weight. And you know what that is? It's hemming you into a decision. Every time you come to the house of the Lord, especially when you hear a message, you are making a choice right now. You are making a choice to say, I will be separated from the chaff. Or I'm going to get hard. So the pressure's on. And you feel it. But that's a good thing. Because that's what happens in the threshing floor is separation and pressure and ox stomping on the wheat, the grain, the stalks, so the grain can come out. It's the place of your future, Ruth. It's the place of your future, church. Is getting to the threshing floor, the place of separation. It's not always easy when God's word comes, starts putting you under conviction. The pressure starts coming on. Walls start squeezing in on you. You start feeling like he's only talking to me. He's not talking to anybody else out there. Well, I got news for you. If you wouldn't have come tonight, I was still going to preach this anyway. So there goes your theory. I said, there goes your theory. But here's the good thing. Because you came tonight, this word can help you. You ever feel like you've been stomped on? You ever feel like you've been walked on? You ever feel like a big old thing just been pulled over on top of you when you've been in church hearing the Word of God? That's a good thing because that is your future. If we ever get, if we ever compromise with sin and lax, become lax with sin, we lose our future. We lose our separation. The next thing that happens in that threshing floor, not only is the separation taking place, the wheat from the chaff, but also the wind is blowing. That's where the wind blows. The wind blows in the threshing floor. And you know what the wind does? The wind of the Spirit does. The wind of the Spirit removes, blows in the house. He always blows in to take away the God has mine. God is always a chaff. Psalms 1. Let's say praise the Lord. One. He said the earth which the wind. So if you're good grain right now and you've been through the process of going through the word hammering you out and walking on you and separating you from the chaff. Then when the wind of the Spirit begins to blow, all it's going to do is remove the wickedness. So I'm saying let the word go forth. Let the ox preach the word. Let the separation take place. Let the wind of the Spirit blow. And when it does, it's going to take the wicked out of the house. And leave the good grain. 
And it's an awesome thing. When the wind of the Spirit begins to blow, it removes the chaff of the wicked. The Bible talks about in the book of Exodus, whenever Moses went up to deliver the people of God, to separate them unto their God, so that they might worship Him in the wilderness. One of the things that God sent to that place was locust. And when that locust invaded the land, there came a time when God's wind carried the locusts away. So God's wind takes the wickedness away. Come on. Takes the ungodliness away. But it also takes away the locust in your life. Which means it takes away that which torments you. And that's found inside of the threshing floor. That's where God's wind blows and takes the wickedness out of me and takes the locust out of me. Takes, takes the things that torment me out of my life. It is the place where he separates. And I know some of you came to look cute. And I know some of you came to just act like church. But I came to have church. You can sit both into your pew. That's all right. But I want God's wind. I want his word. I want his wind to come and take all the wickedness out of me. Because really where I'm tormented is not holiness. Holiness doesn't torment me. Separation doesn't torment me. You know what torments me? The wickedness that's in my life. The unholiness that's in my life. That's what's creating a problem for me. There's a lot of people out there in the world that say, well, you get in that holiness and that's going to be bondage. Are you crazy? That is your future. Holiness is freedom. Holiness is power. Holiness is your future. It's not bondage. You better stay away from that church because they preach this. You know, they stand against that. Come on, man. We're trying to get you liberated from your tormentors. We're trying to preach you into victory and into power. Don't listen to the enemy. Don't listen to Pharaoh. God will send his wind to take the tormentors out of the way. You want that. Let's go to Isaiah. Now Isaiah says this. Thanks, brother. Now Isaiah, the prophet. Say, the prophet. Isaiah 25. How many of y'all love Jesus tonight? Hey. Help me, Jesus. I'm going to find it. Just give me a minute. It's not 25, I don't believe. How many of y'all love God tonight? Twenty-nine, five. Moreover, the multitude of thy strangers 
shall be like small dust. And the multitude of the terrible ones shall be as chaff that passeth away. Yea, it shall be at an instant suddenly. God's going to come in like a whirlwind. And when he does, the strangers are going to be like small dust. And the multitude of terrible ones shall be a shaft that passes away. That's the purpose of the threshing floor. Is so the wind can blow in there. That's where you're going to find your future, Ruth. Give God some praise. So let the preacher preach. Let the ox stop. Let him pull the weight. Put pressure on you. Because it's the place of separation. Let the wind of the spirit blow. What happened was, as the wind blew, and the chaff was blown away, leaving the heavier grain in, in the threshing floor to be put in the barns. You know where the chaff went to? They had a huge bonfire, downwind. So that when the chaff was separated from the pure grain, the chaff was blown into the bonfire. The grain was taken into the barn. It is the place of separation. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to hell. I made up my mind I'm going to live holy. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. I made up my mind I'm not going to hell. I'm not going to be the chaff that ends up in the fire. So I'm going to let God's word fresh me. I'm going to let the word of God separate in my life. I'm going to let the wind of the spirit blow and take the wickedness out of me. And take the torment out of me. I am tormented at times. Not by holiness, but by my flesh. So look at your neighbor and say, let the ox stomp. Let the preacher preach. And let the spirit blow. Because that's the place of your future. You need to... The next aspect of that threshing floor was the tools that they used to separate. One of the to God give me an anointing. Hit me God with an anointing. Hit me God with an anointing. Right now God hit me with an anointing. There's too much flesh here. Hit me with an anointing God hit me. Lord have mercy. Hit this church with an anointing. God's got 
got the power to back this up. You never doubt it. He's got the power to back this up. The threshing floor. The place of your separation. The tools that were used there. There was a winnowing fork. A winnowing fork. They took the fork. And he pushed it in the grain. With the chaff on it. Our perfection is so close to our imperfection. They are together. And the only thing that is going to separate the perfect from the imperfect is the winnowing fork. After the word is preached, the ox, and after the wind blows, well, then comes worship. Because the winnowing fork that is driven into the chaff and the wheat is the tool that lifts up or lofts the chaff and the grain into the air. And that's the worship. And when you worship, the spirit blows, the fire falls. And the separation takes place. So let the preacher preach. Let the Spirit of God blow. And let the church keep worshiping. Let the church keep throwing in the air. The perfect mixed with the imperfect. So that God can separate the two. Worship. That's the place of the threshing floor. Keep worshiping. But I don't feel worthy. I got a little chaff. That's right. Worship throws it all up in the air. It's the winnowing fork that says, take the chaff away and burn it up. Not long ago, Brother Obed gave me a message. T.F. Tenney preached in a conference, and I'll listen to any, anything Brother T.F. Tenney preaches. One thing that stuck with me that he preached was this. He was talking to preachers. He said, the devil would love to have you preach and not worship. He's after your worship. He doesn't mind preachers preaching, but he can't handle preachers worshiping. He don't mind you teaching a Sunday school, but he can't handle your worship because when you worship, chef is lifted up and blown away. Lord, I feel an anointing. I feel an anointing right now. 
He don't mind if you put a CD together. He don't mind you singing pretty songs and making an album. But he can't handle your worship. He don't mind you standing on a platform and singing a solo. But he hates your worship. That's why he'll keep you sitting on a church pew dead and dried up. But I went to hear the word of the Lord. He don't mind you hearing the word of God. But are you responding to it? Are you a worshiper? That is the place of the threshing floor. And that's where Ruth found her future. And because she was located in this place of separation, the kinsman redeemer made her his own. If you will walk in the place of the threshing floor and lay yourself down in the place of the threshing floor, even in the midnight hour, even late, even late in this the church age, late just before the tribulation, late just before his second coming. If this is where you find yourself, these are the people Jesus will take to be his own. These are the people that Jesus will take to be his pride. The people who are separated are the people that Jesus will call from among the earth, will lift from the threshing floor and carry into his barn. Those that are called chosen and faithful. I'm not looking for an easier way. If you live hard for God, it's easy. But if you try to live easy for God, it's hard. Do you understand what I'm telling you? The way of the transgressor is hard. I want to stay in the place of the threshing floor, the place of separation. I have an identity. It's a biblical identity. Come on. I am his bride. <laughs> the same book of Ruth. We have another, we have a separation. We have before Ruth ever becomes the bride of the kinsman redeemer here. When she's located in the threshing floor, we find another separation. Ruth chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. When Naomi is on her way back to Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and praise. He's, she's lost her husband in Moab. She's lost her two sons in Moab. She's out of the will of God. She's out of place. She's not in the place of separation. She's gone to the world for help. And when she went to Moab for help, that's what she lost. 
But after she loses her husband and after she loses her two sons, loses everything she got, she decides, I'm going back to Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and praise. Now, in case you don't know it, the bread comes from the wheat and the wheat comes from the separation that takes place in the threshing floor. So she made up her mind as a backslidden woman, a backslidden mama. She said, I'm leaving the world and I'm going back to the place of separation. I'm going back to the house of bread and praise. And at that time, she's got two daughter-in-laws one's name Orpah and the other's name is Ruth verse 14 they're in the middle of a road somewhere on the way from Moab back to Bethlehem Judah the house of bread and praise the Bible says and they lifted up their voice and wept again there are just three women standing out in the middle of the road just crying like babies. Who knows what they're crying about? But they're just crying. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back. Orpah went back. Orpah is a picture of the person who will not separate unto God. Orpah went back to the world to Moab. And Naomi says, Behold, thy sister has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Your sister-in-law, Orpah, has separated herself from us and from the God of Israel and has gone back to Moab. Ruth, go with her. Watch what Ruth says. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Ruth 1.16 Thy people shall be my people. That means those separated, holy, peculiar Jewish people. They're going to be my people. And thy God, my God. So she separated herself to the people of God no matter how odd they seemed. She separated herself to the people of God and to the one God of Israel. And then we started going through the process of the threshing floor of the place of separation and became the bride of the kinsman redeemer. And as a result of going through that process of separation, look at what the Bible says. Boaz took her as the kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. From the place of the floor. He married her. Say he married her. From the place of the floor. From the place of separation. 
And then the Bible says in verse 17. This is at, now she's had a baby. And in verse 17, the woman, her neighbors gave it a name. Gave this baby a name. There is a son born to Naomi. But he was really born to Ruth. But it says the son was born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. Good name. He is. What does Obed mean? Servant. They called his name Servant. A servant is somebody who has separated themselves. This is the fruit. This is the future of her being willing to separate. Is a baby. A marriage to the Redeemer. And a baby. And the Bible said, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse. The father of David. And Jesus is according to his humanity. Of the seed of David. Years go by. Obed born. Jesse born. Jesse has a son by the name of David. And you'll remember the seed of David. The seed of Ruth. The descendant of Ruth. Let me put it that way. His name is David. Goes up in the battlefield. And faces a man by the name of Goliath. Jewish tradition says. They were cousins. Ruth produced David. Orpah, the backslider, produced Goliath. Goliath is the offspring of Orpah. David is the offspring of Ruth. So on that day in battle, it was two cousins at war. One separated herself unto God in the threshing floor. The other one turned back and went to the world. And as a result of that, Orpah produced Goliath. And Orpah, Ruth produced David and Orpah produced Goliath. Your future depends on your threshing floor. Your future depends on your willingness to separate to God or to separate back to the world. And your heritage, your children, will come out being Goliaths, anti-God, fighters of God's people, fighters of the church, Fighters of God, or your seed will stand for God and say, I come in the name of the Lord God of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. He shall deliver me into your hands this day. That is the fruit of the threshing floor. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to raise no Goliaths. Yeah. 
But if I refuse to separate myself unto God, I will produce church haters in my children, God haters in my children, or I will produce warriors in the kingdom. Your future depends on whether or not you are willing to go through the threshing floor. Whether or not you are willing to go through the process of being crushed by the word. Separation taking place. The wind of the spirit coming and blowing the chaff into the fire. And the wickedness into the fire. Your torment into the fire. And your winnowing fork your worship lifting that up even in its imperfected state and saying God I separate myself to worship you are you hearing this now let me ask you another did you receive it no wonder Paul said they were called saints. If they were called saints in Rome, they were separated people. To be a saint means separated. And they understood their future depended on it. And your future as a church depends on it. And your family depends on it. Daddy, be a father. Be a spiritual father. Be a leader spiritually in your house. Mama, stop being a hypocrite. Be real. Be separated. Produce something in the kingdom. We don't need Goliath running in the church. I don't need Goliath standing up and mocking me. But if you refuse to be separated, then you will produce Goliaths in your life that mock the seed of David, that mock. We don't need Goliaths here. We need... Praise God. I'm telling you. We have a different identity. You need to lift your head high. You need to walk in the midst of that world separated and proud to be who you are. I'm proud to be who I am. I'm proud to stand for what we stand for. Believe what we believe. The separation that we preach is not an afterthought. It's the buck. If they could do it in Rome, they could be saints in Rome. We could be saints in this hour. Will you go to the threshing floor? Nobody going to make you. In fact, there might be some church people in the church trying to talk you out of it. Why don't you just go back? This is hard, man. 
I can't promise you any sons in the future. I can't promise you a husband, Ruth. I can't promise you even a place to stay. She didn't care. I'm going to separate myself. Ruth went with Naomi unconditionally. If you will come into the church of the living God with conditions, you will have great struggle. You will have great problems. It won't work. He's going to find his bride in the threshing floor. That's where she was found. That's the book. I thank God for this word tonight. See, we take for granted what's in this place. And I don't want to get into a comparison thing, but you have no idea the deadness that's in church just today. The deadness. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. God is calling us to separation. And because I'm freely justified in Him and I'm declared that way, I have a desire to lay in the threshing floor. I know that's my future. The problem is, if we're not careful, we'll be like Naomi, wanting to try to hold on to two worlds. That's the danger. Trying to hold on to two worlds. Instead of coming out from among them and being separate. If we try to hold on to two wo- both worlds, we're going to lose both of them. You're going to lose both of them. Help me, Jesus. Help me, God. And there is a pull in this hour. Two ways. The pull of God and the pull of heaven. The pull of truth. And the pull of this world. So God comes here today because He loves us. And puts his approval on this house. Not his condemnation. Because the majority of you understand the place of separation. You amen? Can you amen that? That's what it does for you. Gives you your future. Sit down for a minute. Everybody except the preachers on the platform. That is the end of my message.